Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. When you begin reading in the book of Genesis and going forward to the book of Revelation, one thing stands out, and that is God is interested in the redemption of the human family. And God has made every provision for people of every race to enjoy the blessings of salvation. And when we look at Acts chapters 10 and 11, we find that really what Luke is recording here is that God has included the Gentiles in God's plan of redemption. There are a series of gospel meetings that are recorded in the book of Acts. Every time you have men like Peter or Paul or the other apostles preaching and teaching, you have a gospel meeting. You have people having the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel of Christ. What I want to suggest is that there are a couple of things that are are necessary for gospel meetings to be successful. What would make a gospel meeting a great success? Well, first of all, in order for a gospel meeting to be successful, you have to have the presence of people. People have to be present. When we talk about coming together on the first day of the week, well, we come, to get, we come together every first day of the week. When you read the book of Acts and you think about the great men and women of God in the first century, one of the things that they sought to do to the best of their ability was to lead people to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I think about the words of Paul in Romans 1 verse 16 when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greeks. Well, as we think about leading people to the cross, look, if you would, at Acts chapter 10. Two things I want to stress in this point. First of all, I want you to think with me for just a moment about the man, Cornelius. Cornelius is an interesting individual. Cornelius, as you know, was a Gentile man. He was not a Jew. The Jews typically looked down upon the Samaritan people. Now, before Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection and and in that interlude or that period of time before ascending to heaven, Jesus instructed the apostles. He said that they would be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and he said to the uttermost parts of the earth in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. In Acts chapter 8, we read of the gospel going beyond the Jewish people to the Samaritans. When we come to Acts chapter 10, we read about the inclusion of the Gentile people. And so we are introduced to a man by the name of Cornelius. And there are some things that I want you to consider with me about this man. Number one, his vocation. The Bible tells us that there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So here was a man that was, he was a soldier, And he was a man that was endowed with, to some extent, great authority. And as we look at verse 1, we think about his vocation. But also note, if you would, his virtues. Look at verse 2. 
The Bible says that this man was a devout man. He was one who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And we gain further insight into the character of Cornelius down in verse 22. In verse 22, here's what was said about this man named Cornelius, this centurion. The Bible says he was a just man, one who feared God, and he had a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. And so here was an individual that enjoyed a great reputation, not just among his own people, but also among the Jewish people. Now, I think we ought to point out, Cornelius was a religious man. But just because somebody is religious does not necessarily mean they are right. Cornelius was a religious man, but we're going to find out that God is going to use him as a case study, an object lesson, to the Apostle Peter and to the other Jews that the original intent or will of Almighty God was to include the Gentile people in God's plan of salvation. And so we think about his vocation, his virtues, but then the Bible says that he had a vision. In verse 3, the Bible says, At the ninth hour of the day, which would have been about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Well, Cornelius, he was in Caesarea. He was to send for Peter in Joppa. Joppa was south. It was a coastal city. And it was south of Caesarea. And so he complies with this, this uh, angelic vision. And so in verse 7, the Bible says, When the angel who spoke by him had departed, Cornelius called two, of his called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so we have uh, this vision that he sees and the sending for the apostle Peter. Now look, if you would, at verse 9. In verse 9... We have the Apostle Peter, and he is on a housetop. He's at Simon's home. And he's praying to God about the sixth hour of the following day, which would have been about noontime. And in verse 10, Luke tells us he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. While Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Verse 21, the Bible says, Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius 
and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And then they explain, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, who has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to, the ha to his house and to hear words from you. And so we think about the, the man Cornelius and uh, the calling of Peter. And then we have the calling of the people. Because what you're going to find out in Acts chapter 10 is that Cornelius is going to call his friends and neighbors to come and to listen to what Peter has to say. So pick up with me, if you would, for just a moment in verse 23. In verse 23, the Bible says that he invited them in and lodged, lodged with them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him, up, lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. A couple of things here. We have uh, the Apostle Peter now in the presence of Cornelius. Cornelius has seen this great vision, and really, the, as I said a moment ago, the whole purpose of this is to inform or to identify to the Jewish people that God is now including the Gentiles in his plan of redemption. That was his plan from the very beginning. Well, I want you to note, if you would, that Cornelius, while waiting on Peter, had summoned his relatives and close friends together. Why? To hear what Peter had to say. When Peter recounts this over in chapter 11, and Peter is going to stand before the church in Jerusalem, and he's going to answer questions as to why he had gone in to these uncircumcised people, that is, to these Gentile people, he's going to point out that, that what this really meant was that God had now included the Gentiles in his plan of redemption. In other words, that they would enjoy repentance to life. But in Acts chapter 11, Peter said that Cornelius had sent for him so that Cornelius and his household might hear words whereby they might be saved. So the whole purpose of sending for Peter was so that they could hear the gospel of Christ. And so now look, if you would, at what is said. Picking up in verse, well, look, if you would, at verse 27. When he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. But look at Cornelius. Cornelius had such interest in what Peter was going to have to say that he, that he called upon his relatives, his close friends, to come and to be a part of this great meeting. I think about in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus healed a man that had been possessed by multiple demons. This man, after having been healed, wanted to stay with the Lord. And Jesus had bigger and better plans for him. He said, what I want you to do is go home and tell your friends and neighbors what great things the Lord has done for you. Now just think about what the Lord has done for all of us as members of the body of Christ, how greatly we've been blessed, how richly we have enjoyed all of the many blessings of salvation. Is it not the case that we, want, that we ought to want to do everything within our power to bring people to Christ? This gospel meeting affords us the opportunity to put people in the presence of the Lord. In other words, we have the opportunity to share the gospel with people. So, 
Number one, gospel meetings are a success when people are present. Here you have a situation where multitudes of people are present. I don't know how many were present, but I know that there were a number of close friends and relatives of Cornelius present when the apostle Peter came on the scene. But now, a second thing I want you to consider. Gospel meetings are a success when the gospel is preached. When you look at Acts chapter 10, what you'll find is a case study of the gospel of Christ being presented to these people. Go back and read, just read the book of Acts in its entirety. And one of the things that's going to be apparent to you is that on a number of occasions you have early disciples, whether it be the apostles, disciples of the Lord, that is those first century Christians, who took seriously the Great Commission, and they were going out into the highways and byways and trying to lead people to Christ. Well, how were they doing that? They were preaching and teaching the Word. They were engaging in what we would call gospel meetings. It might have been a gospel meeting where multitudes were present, like Pentecost, where you have some 3,000 people yielding obedience to the gospel of Christ. It might have been an occasion where just one person was present, like the eunuch from Ethiopia when he came into contact with Philip. Or I think about Philip going down to the city of Samaria and preaching Christ to the people. Again, an occasion where you have the public proclamation of the Word of God. Well, what about this idea of preaching Christ? Why do we preach Christ? Because there is power in the proclamation of the cross of Christ. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for His sake. All right, let's look, if you would. We think about the preaching of Christ, and here we have the Apostle Peter preaching Christ to these people that have been, that have been assembled together. Peter recounts how he had been summoned to Caesarea from Joppa to present the gospel of Christ to these people. So look at what is said in verse, well, drop down and look at verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In other words, he's no respecter of persons. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healed all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the, all the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And so you have Peter presenting a sermon, that is, he's presenting the gospel of Christ to those assembled in the household of Cornelius. Let me just very quickly cite for you a couple of reasons why you have gospel meetings. 
Why is it that when you read the book of Acts, you have multiple gospel meetings taking place? Number one, gospel meetings are imperative to expose sinners to the gospel of Christ. Now, I understand that we can invite people on a regular basis to our worship services, and it affords them the opportunity to hear, hear the gospel. Did you know that the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Read the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, Paul's conclusion is the Gentile world, they're under sin. In chapter 2, his conclusion is the Jewish people, they too are under sin. In chapter 3, here's the verdict, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so Paul went about preaching and teaching the gospel, why? So that he might expose the gospel to those who were lost and dying in sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Why is it that we do our best to present the gospel to a lost and dying world? Because we want people to be saved. When the angel of God appeared to Joseph in a dream, you remember back in Matthew chapter 1, that angel said to Joseph that Mary would conceive and bring forth a son. And he said, Mary will call his name Jesus, for it is he that will save his people from their sins. That's the purpose of preaching and teaching. To expose people to the Christ who has the ability to save individuals from sin. There is a second reason why we have gospel meetings. This is not so much outlined in the text, but I do think it's a part of gospel meetings. And that is to edify the saints. Those of us who are part of the body of Christ, when we hear the preaching of the gospel, one of the things that it does is strengthens, it strengthens us. It builds us up in the faith. Think for a moment about Paul when he went to, well, when he was in, in Miletus. And while in Miletus, he calls for the elders of the church who are from Ephesus. And they, they come and appear before him. And he instructs them to, to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. In verse 32 of Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul said, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified by Christ Jesus. All right? So when you have the preaching of the gospel, when you have individuals who are part of the body of Christ hearing the word, what happens? Well, spiritual strength is a result. In other words, we become stronger in the faith. We're built up. We're encouraged. We live in a world today in which we're beset by trials, temptations, tribulations. Think about all of the things that we face on a regular basis. One of the greatest tools of the devil is discouragement. And one of the means by which we have our spiritual batteries recharged is by coming to worship and hearing the Word of God. And so gospel meetings have, have the ability to strengthen us, to edify us, to build us up in the faith of Almighty God. And so we think about the preaching of Christ, but then there is a second thing I want to call your attention to as we look at our text Peter not only preaches Christ, but he preaches pardon in Christ. Drop down and look, if you would, beginning in verse 44. In verse 44, the Bible says that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Here we have the second instance in the New Testament, and really there are only two instances where we read about the outpouring of the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. 
The first occurred on Pentecost Day. This was a like measure. In other words, when this occurred, it took Peter's mind back to what occurred on Pentecost Day. There was a purpose divinely appointed by Almighty God for these people receiving this baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit and thus speaking in tongues. And we're not talking about gibberish, but rather we're talking about intelligible languages. Now Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that tongues would soon cease. Well, they ceased in the first century. The miraculous, the purpose of the miraculous according to the Lord, according to Mark in Mark 16, was to confirm the word. The purpose of this occasion was to enable the Jews to recognize that God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Look, if you would, at verse 18. In verse 18, when Peter recounts this story to his brethren in Jerusalem, that is, the Jews that had obeyed the gospel that were a part of the church in Jerusalem, the Bible says, When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. How do I know then that Holy Spirit baptism is not for me today? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in about A.D. 62, and that's one of Paul's four prison epistles, he said there is one baptism. And what we're going to find is that these people were then baptized into Christ. Why were they baptized into Christ? Because they needed to be saved. Because the blood of Christ is what saves us from sin. And the only way to contact the blood of Christ is by being baptized into Jesus Christ. And so, with that in mind, Look again at verse 46. When they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water? That these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. When they were baptized into Christ, what happened in their lives? Number one, Cornelius and his household, they contacted the blood of Christ. When we talk about being baptized into Christ, what we need to understand is that Jesus shed his blood in his death. Well, where did that occur? On the cross of Calvary, John 19, verse 34. In order to appropriate that blood, we have to go where it was shed. Where was it shed? In his death. And so when Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So when we're baptized into the death of Christ, what do we do? We procure or we contact the blood of Christ. Furthermore, we are added to the body of Christ. These people that had obeyed the gospel that had been, that had been baptized, they enjoyed the blessings of the blood of Christ which washes away our sins, Revelation 1.5. Not only so, but they were added to the body of Christ. On Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the first gospel sermon, the Bible says some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on that day. In verse 47, the Bible says that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When you're baptized into Christ, God adds you to the church. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to be voted into the church. The Lord adds you to the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. And the idea is when you're baptized into Christ... You contact the blood of Christ, and you're added to the body of Christ. Now, having said all of that, 
Why have a gospel meeting? Why do we read about numerous gospel meetings in the book of Acts? Because the gospel of Christ is for all. And really when you read Acts chapters 10, 10 and 11, that's really the thrust. The gospel is for all. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus over in Ephesians chapter 3, he talked about how he had received revelation from God. He said he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it has now been revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. What was Paul saying there? He was saying that God's plan from the very beginning was to save both Jews and Gentiles in the one body. And that's exactly what Luke is telling us in Acts chapters 10 and 11. That the gospel is for all. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 16. He said that Christ reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. When Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross and paid the price for our sins... He made reconciliation possible for every person. I don't care what your age, I don't care what your race, I don't care what your economic background, I don't care where you've come from, the gospel is for all. And that's why we have gospel meetings. That's why we need to have gospel meetings. And let me tell you what, when you look around in our world today, the only conclusion I can come to is whatever's going on in our world today, whatever people are trying to do on a social level to better mankind, it's not working. But I can tell you what will work. The gospel will work. You want to elevate people to a higher plane in this world, preach and teach the gospel of Christ. You want to change the social stratus of the environment in which we live, preach the gospel of Christ. You want to change the thinking of our young people. You want to see young people respecting human life. You want to see young people recognizing the sanctity of human life. You want to see our young people recognizing the danger and the evils of alcohol and drugs and promiscuity, preach the gospel. You want to see older people in our world recognize the dangers associated with gambling, with playing the lottery, with engaging, or rather, engaging in adulterous relationships. You want to see more mature people in our world today recognize the evils of dishonesty and lying and cheating and stealing. Preach the gospel. And that's what we're trying to do. That's the whole purpose we preach and teach, the gospel of Christ. And I'm here today to simply say this. The gospel is for all. And it's for you. Did you know that Christ, when it's all said and done, Christ died for your sins and mine. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. Christ died for us. That's why when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he would say, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. It may be the case that your life right now is so steeped in sin, you wonder, how in the world could I ever change? Let me tell you what, I remember many, many years ago, as a matter of fact, I, I was probably 22. I remember being in a worship service, 
And the invitation song was, was being sung. And the preacher stopped the service. And he stood before the assembly and he said, We have a man here today who's not been to church in five years. And let me tell you what, this fella had, he had lived a rough life. He'd been a lot of places, he had done a lot of things, he had been involved in a lot of things. And his, his mother had called and invited him to come to worship, and he did so. That, that one invitation was, was a life-altering experience. How do I know that? He came before the assembly. He, had been, he, was, he was a wayward child of God. He confessed his sins. He repented. He was restored back to the Lord. And let me tell you what. Today, he is a faithful gospel preacher. I know the gospel has power. I know that there is power in the message of the cross. And that's why we preach and teach it. And what I want to say to you is, maybe your life is a mess. Why not turn it over to the Lord? What would you need to do? Well, first of all, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ, John 8, 24. The Bible then says that we are to repent of every sin, that is, turn from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32, and then be immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 2, 38. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Savior's love.